My name is Nicholas, and this is my wife, Gabriella, and we are the Hollanders. We have been married for a little over three years now. We've been together for about five and a half, but we have grown up in the area. We've lived in Lacey our whole lives. We knew each other as kids growing up, and when we first got together, we discussed a lot of our goals as individuals and career-wise of what we want to do and what we want to create, what the like dreams God has placed in our hearts, and both of us aligned with the idea of um, just doing something in the creative influence industry yeah. of sorts, where you are really passionate about music, and I have always been super passionate about fashion and clothing and all things like that, so I feel like our first thought when we first were like, LA, that's what, like LA, that's where everyone goes, like that's be. the fun place or whatever. Yeah, and we've been, we had planned and tried to do that for so long. Like we had prayed for that for quite some time and it just never worked out. We Like we made plans, we had everything lined up and then everything would fall apart last minute. Um, and it was, it was hard and confusing. So we kept being like, <laughs> okay, God, you've like put these dreams in our hearts, you've made us. And every time that we would make a plan, we would always like pray together and pray to God, okay, like, we're gonna be open-handed with this. What if you don't think this is it? Like, give us a firm no. Yeah. And we got no and from we him. We got some firm no's. So many times, and so. And during quarantine, we were discussing, talking, praying, and it was actually you, who you were like, because we we love Nashville. We were at, back in Nashville back in January, um, and we were, you looked at me and you were like, what if we did Atlanta? And we started researching and looking at it, and we discovered that. Um, there's a church There's a church there that we there. absolutely love that they're launching there. Well, and then you asked me, you were like, all right, so if we were to make the jump, we would need to save money. How much money would you feel comfortable saving? And I thought about it, prayed on it, had a number, and uh, gave you that number, and we prayed on it. And we were expecting it to be like, a, we'll save, we'll work hard for the next year, year and a half. So we were both working two jobs yeah. at the time. Um, and I felt like, okay, maybe the times before this when we tried to move, like, we just hadn't done enough. In two or three or four different ways of transactions, we have the money that we need to move. It, like, doubled it in time and speed and yeah. all of that. Like, like within, just... I'd say, with roughly four months, we had the money. It seems like God has put this in front of us. It, everything has aligned in a way that it never has before. And so we literally decided, let's pull the trigger. Um, we are literally moving in a month, a month from now. I think even now, just with how things have fallen into place, it then makes you realize all of the reasons maybe things didn't fall into place. So sometimes yeah. when you get a no or you get, we just felt like we were hitting a roadblock with every dream that we tried to pursue for the first probably two and a half, yeah. two years of our marriage. And I don't, I finally don't think we're naive in this, but we are truly trusting God with our dreams, um, which is scary and exciting and exhilarating, but why would we not? everybody doing? You guys look good today. You guys look really good today. My name's Ellis, and I am uh, one of the people that gets the honor to be uh, help out around here. I get to help with um, serving opportunities, things like True Grace Serves. And uh, we are just a bunch of people who serve in our community. And I wanted to give you an option before I start my message today. I want to give you an opportunity to sign up and just Get the communications that happen, because sometimes a lot of our stuff that we do is really small. So if you are interested uh, in becoming part of True Grace Serves, um, you, I want you to be able to sign up just to receive the communications. It's just emails occasionally that come out. We don't do a ton of them, but sometimes it's like someone needs to go to the the uh, pharmacy and they don't have a ride. And so it's a last minute thing. I'll send out an email and whoever can respond, responds. And man, together we do some amazing, amazing, amazing things. Yeah. So if that's you, I've got uh, 
uh, slide that should be coming up here. You can text this number to True Grace Serves. Text True Grace Serves to this number, and it will give you a place to sign up and just say, hey, we want to be part of the communication, and I want to be a part of the solution. Uh, I think this next year, we're going to be on a, on a micro scale, we're going to have a big impact. Just all of us coming together, doing little things here and there, and so I'm excited about that. Now, our message for this week. We've been in this series, and I'm in the second week, is a heart that refuses to be hardened. Series two, I'm in the second week, and I get to tackle forgiveness, and forgiveness is a big deal. Uh, so I'm excited about that today. Anybody enjoy the snow last week? Yeah. I did. Uh, how many people got to go down the hill on a sled? Boy, some people with white hair went down the hill. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's fun, right? Last week about this time, I got to meet a neighbor I'd never met yet. He had slid his car into the ditch next to my house, so I helped him during church time. I actually was helping him uh, pull his car out. And it was such a fun thing. My wife and I usually go on walks, and so uh, I brought a picture of one of our walks. We live on the backside of Hunter Farms, and so it is so beautiful to be, have Christmas trees in your backyard, essentially. And uh, we get to go on it all the time. And what's more interesting is, is about two uh, minutes after this photo was taken, uh, a family snowball fight broke out, as they typically do. <laughs> now, pop quiz for you. You have a wife and three children. Which one do you throw the, the snow first snowball at? You are right. You got the right answer, right? So, so they're not, they're talking and they're not uh, paying that much attention. I pack the snow just enough to make it the 20 foot distance that she's standing, but not too hard so that it would hurt. And I chuck it and it's going through the air. And I'm telling you, this snowball's going to land and no one still has a sight of what's going to happen. And then the unthinkable happens. I hit her right in the forehead. Smack dab in the forehead. And the air immediately leaves the room, right? It's all gone. And what's even better is, is that she wears glasses. So it ricochets off her forehead and backfills her glasses. So literally she's got white inside of her glasses. Her mouth is gaping open. And for about 20 seconds, there's silence as I'm standing there looking at my youngest and middle and oldest child, and there's, there's, I get the feeling that they're thinking to themselves, what did you just do to our mother, right? <laughs> I thought I was going to die there. And then everything came back. The air came back in, and she started to laugh, and I was like, oh, good. And so I started profusely as much as I could. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're the best-looking woman in the world, right? All the things that you can say and apologize. And then we had this great snowball fight. Um, you know, it was just the best, amazing, amazing uh, snowball fight you could ever have, right? Those are the moments that we all like and we love, right? I wish most of life was filled with things like that, an apology and that kind of forgiveness, don't you? They're not always that way. Where there's an accident and no harm is really done and you walk away kind of laughing, better friends than you were before. Don't you wish life was like that? It's not, though. In fact, life, uh, every single one of us has a... Has, uh, uh, an example, what it feels like to get hurt by someone for real. When you take something, uh, somebody takes a shot on purpose. Maybe you see it coming. Maybe you don't. But either way, you stand there, stunned, hurt. Hurtful words get flung around on social media posts. You're in a meeting, and that digging joke wasn't really a joke, was it? In the heart of the heat of the moment, someone says something and they aim where it, they know it's going to hurt the most. And of course, it hurts more when we know them and we love them and we thought they loved us. Clearly, social media makes this worse. 
There's so many opportunities to say stuff that hurt, especially in the climate that we find ourselves in. And people can be even more cruel behind a keyboard than they are in person. And of course, actions hurt too. Something, someone does something or doesn't do it. There's a breakup. There's a snub. There's a betrayal, a betrayal of friendship. Some of us know all too well what it feels like when someone stronger than us uses their strength not to help or protect, but they use their strength to hurt and maybe even abuse. There's no laughing that off. There's no forgetting it. And the title of the series today is A Heart That Refuses to Be Hardened, and all of us have uh, more than enough opportunities to harden our hearts, don't we? The question I want to ask today is, how do you keep a soft heart in a hard world? How do you keep a soft heart in a hard world? When someone hurts you, how do you keep from getting bitter, getting revenge, getting depressed, filled with rage, getting reclusive, being alone? How do we stay warm and generous and encouraging and gentle and loving when the opposite is so natural for all of us? I want to suggest this morning that at least one answer to that question, and I think it's probably one of the most important ones, is forgiveness. The ability to forgive and be forgiven is absolutely essential if we want to have a heart that refuses to be hardened. And I love this word, refuses, because there's some resolve to it, isn't there? There's a strength to it. Good old-fashioned stubbornness, isn't it? We're going to need some of that kind of strength if we're going to be able to forgive. So let's talk about it. I want us to look, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 18. It's one of Jesus' teaching. And there's several parables lined up one right after another where he's talking about how we should live in Christian community. In other words, he's talking about the kingdom of God. How should we function? How should we preserve health and unity and community? So that's the context, and I want you to follow along as I read out of Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 21. It says this, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Now, it's interesting that rabbinical teaching at the time had the acceptable limit of forgiveness at three. You were, that was the teaching at the time of the, when this was written. You were supposed to be able to give, forgive three times, but after that, you're there on their own, right? So Peter probably thought to himself, hey, I'm taking the norm and, and I'm going to try and impress Jesus. If I know Peter well, I think this is what he was trying to do is impress Jesus. So let's keep reading. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I don't say to you uh, up to, to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Huh? So Peter just tries to take this existing paradigm and make it a little bigger. But Jesus blows it up altogether. Because 70 times 7 is an ancient way of communicating limitlessness. So Jesus is is saying to Peter, Peter, I appreciate you, great job, but you still don't understand the reality of forgiveness yet. There's no limit on it. And we'll come back to this later in the message. And Jesus goes on to explain further in the parable. And you can think of this parable like a play that plays itself out in three separate acts. So in act one, starting in verse 23, it says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle uh, the accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now this number, it's important to know that this number, the number 10,000 was the largest num, number in the Greek vocabulary. 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek vocabulary. And a talent was the largest denomination of currency. 
So roughly one talent is equivalent to 15 years wages. 15 years wages. So this servant owed 150,000 years of wages. And if you were to convert that in today's money, that's between 12 billion and 1 trillion dollars. That's how much this servant owes. Basically, it's a narrative way of saying he can't pay it back, right? He, the, the king's not getting his money back. Let's keep reading. But as he was not able to pay, this is an understatement, his master commanded him that he be sold and his wife and children and all he had until he had made uh, payment be made. Now, there was no way he was going to pay this debt, was there? The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I'll pay all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. So that's the end of Act 1 in this play, in this story that Jesus is telling. The servant falls in a heap at the king's feet, and he's just been forgiven. An impossible trillion-dollar debt has been canceled. And not only did he remove the obligation, but he ended up saving the life of the servant and the wife and the children out of this. So now, here's act two in this play. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii is a day's wage. So this guy owed him about three to four months worth of uh, wages. Not insignificant, but nowhere near what the first servant owed. And he... uh, Uh, He laid hands on him, it goes on to say, and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet. Doesn't this sound familiar? Begging him, saying, have patience with me. I'll pay it all off. Now, he's in the place of the king, isn't he? And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he could pay the debt. So here we are at the end of Act 2. And it's revealing what's in the servant's heart, is it? It had not been affected by the compassion that he had received from the king. His heart remained hard, and it was a proud as a result. And he was unwilling to cancel the debt of his fellow servant. So here we are, the beginning of Act 3, and it delivers the consequences of his hard heart. So when his fellow servants, these are his co-workers, they ratted him out, saw what he had done, they were grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he could pay all that was due him. Wow. We already know this debt was unpayable. And then Jesus delivers the bottom line very directly. Says in verse 35, So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Yikes. Anybody else feel like you just got a snowball to the face and the lights went out? (laughs) Boy, I feel like that. Before we go on, I want us to pray and ask the Lord's help to understand. Heavenly Father, forgiveness is your idea. And as we talk about it today, Lord, it's so important. Help me communicate it with the same truth that you originally said it. And I pray, Lord God, that today we would find ourselves at the feet of the Master, receiving what you've given to these servants. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so that last line makes it pretty clear that forgiveness is essential to keep a soft heart. It's also pretty clear that it may be the the difference between life and death. Because it's such a straightforward parable, I want us to take uh, three things that I think are also straightforward, uh, questions that we can ask about forgiveness. First, what is it? Second, how do we do it? And third, who needs it? What is it? How do we do it? Who needs it? First, what is it? 
The picture of, par- uh, of this parable is that forgiveness is essentially a cancellation of a debt, right? A debt's when there's a gap between what you have and what, or what's required and what you currently have. If you have a mortgage, you know what I'm talking about, right? And in spiritual language, we call this sin. That's the gap between what has been required and what we have. It's not measuring up to God's standard or failing to do what's required. And just like the debt was canceled, when his sin is forgiven, it means that I no longer require the person who hurt me to pay for what they have done to me. You see, forgiveness is when you choose to absorb the loss and the hurt yourself, and you do not make the other person pay for the hurt that they have caused. Now, that's hard, isn't it? I say that, and it's hard for it to get out of my mouth, let alone for us to live it and do it and be it. And I want to make an important clarification here. Because we live in a broken world and broken humans, and there are horrible, evil things that can, can and do happen. I'm sure in this very room, there's someone that has had some horrible evil that has been perpetrated upon you. And I want to make it very clear that forgiveness I'm talking about this morning does not erase justice and the consequences of evil. If you're here this morning and you're experiencing abuse of any kind, legal, physical, emotional, sexual, or spiritual, I am not telling you, and I don't believe scripture is telling you, that you should simply forgive and forget and move on as if it never happened. If that's your situation, you don't need forgiveness right now. You need safety. And it's my prayer that you get that. And it's my prayer that you find someone in your world that can help you find that. Someone that's loving and caring and serves you, not whatever... thing a perpetrator wants. Allowing an individual to continue in a path of evil is not loving. In fact, the loving thing to do is allow an abusive person to face justice and hopefully through that find God's mercy as they face the necessary consequences of their actions. I hope that that's clear because addressing evil and unrepentance is a different topic and a different sermon altogether. And the context of this parable is about how we address hurt when it happens between fellow followers of God who have a posture of repentance towards each other and towards God. I'll talk a little bit about how to keep a soft heart towards people who haven't or likely won't ever repent. I'll touch on that briefly too before we're over today. So as I was saying about forgiveness... Forgiveness is when you choose to absorb the pain yourself and you do not make the other person pay for the hurt that they've caused. Now, there's a lot of subtle ways we can make people pay, isn't there? We can give them the evil eye. I want you to take a moment, look to your neighbor, and give them their best evil eye you can. All right? Give them your best evil eye. Some of you are really good at this. Some of you are really, really good. Some people can give uh, the silent treatment. Sometimes we can withhold friendship. Some of us men, and maybe some others too, can go to blows, right? Verbal, maybe physical. We can call out their wrong online for the world to see. Boy, howdy, everybody's going to know what you did. We can constantly rehearse and retell to everyone we come across, what wrong has been done to us. We're pretty good at finding ways to punish people, aren't we? But when we have forgiven someone, we don't punish them. It means that when I remember how they hurt me, I absorb the hurt rather than making them pay in some way. Think about it. The debt that the servant owed the king didn't just disappear into thin air. What happened to it is the king paid it himself rather than making the servant pay. Just like when someone hurts you or me, the pain doesn't just disappear. 
It's all still there. But forgiving means that when you remember the hurt, rather than lashing out or gossiping about it or giving the evil eye, you absorb it. You cancel it within yourself. You do not lash out. You do not gossip. You do not glare. That costs you something, doesn't it? That cost is a form of suffering. But that's what forgiveness is. It's a form of suffering. It's when you pay the debt instead of making them pay the debt. Now, I realize I'm telling you this, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's not fair, and you're right. But listen, we have to learn something really important about the nature of sin and forgiveness from this story. And that is this, is that forgiveness is the only way to stay free. It's the only way. In Act 1, the servant receives forgiveness and he stays free. In Act 2, he refuses to forgive and he ends up in prison. Did you notice that? Essentially, one of the victims in the story is the one who ends up in prison. Listen, I, I don't make the rules here. I didn't tell this story. I'm just retelling it. This is a hard truth that we have to accept if we're going to refuse to let our hearts hearts be hardened. Even if you're the victim, you're the one that's been lied about. You're the one that's been insulted and manipulated. and, And maybe you're in emotional prison. You're the victim. Unforgiveness will keep you in a kind of emotional prison. And it's a prison that you choose to be in. Forgiveness is the only way to freedom. It's the way to get out of emotional prison of hatred and bitterness and envy and rage. Are you experiencing any of those this morning? Then this is for you. So what is forgiveness? It's when you pay instead of making them pay. And ultimately, forgiveness is freedom. Now, if that's true, how do we do it? I'm glad you asked. You guys ask good questions. Good job. The passage actually gives us a nice template for how to forgive. In verse 26, it says this, The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave his debt. Three steps. Compassion, release, forgiveness. Compassion is letting your heart go out to the person who hurt you. It's choosing to identify with that person, putting yourself in their place, to empathize with them, to focus on ways in which you're similar, to understand that what they did and have sympathy for them and their weakness. You have to choose to not caricature them, right? How many of you have been on a vacation and you had one of those street cartoon artists and they uh, draw a picture of you, right? What do they do? They take some feature of yours and they exaggerate it. Maybe you have tiny eyes, smaller eyes, and they make them super tiny, right? Or big ears. What do they do? Dumbo, right, exactly. You guys know, they exaggerate it. We can tend to do the same thing with our perception of people. We take what they've done and we exaggerate it. We make it the main thing about them. They lied about something, so they're a liar. Done deal. Settled. That's who they are. But when we lie about something, we know it's complicated. It's a complex situation, multidimensional beings, lots of things to go through, all these factors at play. But forgiveness is identifying with someone and refusing to caricature them. Many years ago, a man by the name of B.B. Warfield wrote an essay called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. He was studying the Greek words in the New Testament that were used to describe Jesus, his emotional responses to people. And we're trying to get a a sense of what Jesus' life was like. Do you know that by far, the word that was used most often to describe Jesus' emotional response to people was that word in verse 27? Compassion. Compassion over and over and over. Scripture tells us that Jesus' heart went out to hurting people who, who were sinful. It's much easier to stay angry and unforgiving towards someone that we are, ourselves are superior to, isn't it? Compassion means identifying with them and understanding 
that maybe we would never do what they did, but chances are pretty good we would do something similar, and maybe in a different category, but equally as bad. We have to let our hearts go out to people in their weakness, just like Jesus did. When we release them to God, this is especially relevant if the person who hurt us has not asked for forgiveness or likely won't ask for forgiveness. Maybe they're not a believer. They don't have the same starting point as we do. Maybe they don't think they did anything wrong. Maybe they're too proud. Maybe they're no longer alive. Releasing them to God means that we refuse to seek vengeance. We understand that God is the judge. He's the only one that can see into hearts and judge motives. And we have to trust God to do the right. Not only that he's loving and compassionate, but that he's also just. And unlike our imperfect justice, his justice is whole, complete, and perfect. Releasing them to God means we pray for them. We pray their healing and wholeness. We pray that their eyes would be opened and that God's kindness would lead to repentance. Releasing them to God means that we trust God. He works all things for the good according to his plan, right? That's one of the ways that Joseph was able to forgive his brothers who sold him into slavery. It's because he understood that God doesn't cause evil, but he can redeem it and use it for good. So compassion, release, and then forgiveness. We already talked about what forgiveness means, that we pay instead of making them pay. And I want to encourage you with this, that you don't pay forever. You don't pay forever. In fact, people who have learned to forgive can tell, can tell you that not only does forgiveness lead to freedom, but it also leads to healing. It means that you suffer for a while while you choose to absorb the emotional pain, but it's the same kind of suffering that you experience when a wound is healing too. It hurts a lot at first, but then less and less, and eventually it doesn't hurt at all, and maybe it even feels better and stronger than it did before. Unforgiveness keeps us an emotional wound open and festering, but forgiveness closes the wound, and this is important. It puts limits on the pain. It says to the pain, you can go this far and no farther. Beyond that, we're never alone in our suffering. We have the compassion and the comfort of God himself. It says this in 2 Corinthians 1, God, our merciful Father and the source of all comfort, he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. Thank you, Lord, for being there when I've suffered. How do we forgive? We cultivate compassion. We release those that hurt us to God, and then we suffer the pain of forgiveness with God to comfort us while we allow the wound to close and heal. And finally this morning, who needs forgiveness? I say all of this, uh, and I hope that this has been good and helpful information for all of us here. But it should go without saying that learning how to forgive is a process that takes time. It often needs help from many others Others that love us and care for us. And most of all, we need help from the Holy Spirit. But even with all of that, we haven't even touched on the true point of Jesus' parable. And it's the most important one, I think, because it's actually what enables us to do everything we just talked about. Sadly, so many of us, and I include myself in this statement, have been slow to forgive Because we're still in act two. We're pretty serious. We owe someone uh, a debt they owe to us. And we have amnesia about act one. And so we're numbed and scarred by the pain and we can't forgive. It's just not in us. The truth is that there won't be forgiveness unless we ask the question, who needs forgiveness? And the answer is me. Me. Your answer is you. The logic of the parable goes like this. However deeply 
We may be a victim in the sight of God. We've been an offender 1,000 times over. No one can offend us or hurt us as much as we've offended God. No one can inflict anything on us approaching to the pain and the offense that we've inflicted upon God. The biggest problem is that we can't seem to conjure up within ourselves forgiveness for a hundred denarii. The main problem is that we really don't believe or understand that we've been forgiven 10,000 talents. It's only when we grasp that truth that our hearts will begin to soften and we find strength to forgive others who've hurt us. But first, we must get a sense of how astronomical the nature of our debt to the king is. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that, to enlighten our minds, to understand everything we have as a gift from God, that you're here today in this room, sit next to people that love and cherish you. The family of God is a gift. Every breath, a gift. Heartbeat, a gift. Every moment of genuine pleasure, all the talents that you have, the clothes you're wearing, the roof over your head, every comfort and every joy in this world, the beauty of creation itself, the air you breathe, the sunset that we got to watch yesterday, the snowball fights you enjoy with the friends and the family that you love. They're gifts. It's a gift to us. His love is a gift. His sustaining power and goodness are gifts. And yet... Before Christ, our natural default is to throw everything back in God's face or take them without recognition or gratitude. Every time we say, thanks, God, but I don't care what you want. I'm going to do it my way. Thanks, God, for the gifts, but frankly, it's not good enough. You can do better. You're okay, God, but my, my money's more important to me. My time's more important to me. You're a great God, but I can take it from here. I know better. You're just a killjoy. Every time we hurt and wound a fellow child of God, we spit in the face of the God who tells us to love our neighbors ourselves. Every time we fail to love and obey God, we offend and insult the king. Whether we realize it or not, I have an impossible debt. And I know this because I know the story that God tells in his word that you have one too. We've fallen short of the standard. Our minds are darkened by sin and we can't recognize the situation we find ourselves in. But God, he saw it and he sent his son, Jesus, in compassion. His heart went out to us and he chose to identify in our weakness. By becoming a man, he chose to forgive. The payment for our debt of sin was death. He chose to absorb that debt and cancel it with the, son, with the death of his own son. He suffered and he paid the price so that we didn't have to. Not only did he forgive our debt, he adopted us into his family and he bestows upon us the wealth of his kingdom for eternity. This is beyond forgiveness. It's extravagant. In fact, it's grace. And just like the passage we read, it's limitless. There's no magic number where you're not forgivable anymore. Hear me, if you're here today and you think to yourself, I've done something too bad, too wrong. That's not what grace says. There's nothing that you've done that's too evil, that it cannot be absorbed by the forgiveness of God. An infinite God offers infinite forgiveness for all those who ask and allow their hearts to be softened by grace. In the words of scripture, he has turned their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. How do you know your heart's been softened? Your natural response becomes gratitude and generosity. You've been given so much we can freely give to anyone we come across. We're free to be generous with our compassion and forgiveness. That's how you know you've grasped grace. You're able to forgive. You're free. You're healed. And you've been given a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. 
I've asked the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask them to take, sing a song. Would you stand with me? I'm going to close my final point as they're getting ready. But I want you to listen. We're going to sing, Take Courage, My Heart. As we close this morning, I want to allow you to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart. I don't know what part of the story you find yourself in. Maybe you're in Act 1. You recognize that you have a debt that you owe. No one has the... No one has to convince you that you've fallen short of God's standard. You're eager to fall to your knees before the king. I assure you that our king will turn no one away. You'll be met with compassion, limitless forgiveness that's beyond whatever you've done and extravagant grace. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you find yourself like I often find myself. I'm in act two. And if you're honest, you're numbed by rage and bitterness. The idea of forgiveness only seems weak or impossible. If that's you, recognize that your situation is serious, but it's not impossible. You're at a crossroads. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the debt that you owe and the grace that's been offered by the King and let that melt your heart and your rage and your bitterness. Let that begin to thaw those layers and open the door to forgiveness. And finally, this morning, Maybe you're in the process, somewhere in the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain of forgiveness. Someone out there that you don't know what to do. If that's you, I want to encourage you to keep going. You're closer than you realize. You're not alone. Jesus understands and he offers his compassion and comfort. Be stubborn and resolved to release the offender to God and pray for them. And don't forget that forgiveness is a healing and that it's on the other side of the pain. You're closer than you think. Sing this song and wherever you're at, I want you to think and pray and ask the Lord for his blessing. And then I'll close after the song's over.
back up about take courage our triumph unfolds you know what your triumph is when you respond to forgiveness like Jesus did when you're able to do that I know it's not possible for me either I struggle with this in my own life to forgive not be full of rage and bitterness. But man, I'm telling you, over my lifetime of being in the kingdom of God, I've seen myself come closer and closer and closer, and you can too. Not because of me or not because of any great message that was said here today, but because of the power of God can transform your life just like he's transformed my life, just like he's transformed the lives of people you're sitting next to. God can do that for you. You know how? because God went first. He had compassion on you. And so he sent his son Jesus to the cross to die for your sins. He took your pain, he put it on himself and he canceled that debt in his death. And then he rose again. And his promise is that you will rise too. And you can rise out of whatever hurt you're in right now the pain that you're experiencing of whatever's been done to you as a victim in Jesus Christ, you can rise out of that and you can have a limit on that pain and say no more because of what Christ has done to you and for you and in you and he can transform you. That's my prayer. I'm gonna pray a prayer over you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm just gonna pray with you that God would do that in our lives today. Heavenly Father, my hands raised, you see all of these hands raised in this room, online, Lord God, wherever people are at, whatever their struggle is to forgive, being done with this pain and this hurt that they've experienced in their life, God, thank you for putting this story in there to help us come to grips with the nature of this forgiveness, that we need it, and so God, we put our hope in you. Thank you that you've forgiven me. That's who needed it first, me. I needed forgiveness and you've done something astronomical and your forgiveness for me now, God help me and help these my friends, Lord God, to do the same, to forgive those who obviously owe a debt, who have hurt. Some people have been are, that are here, there's been someone that has used their strength to abuse them in many ways, Lord God, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would come in there and do a miracle. Help them to forgive. Help them to get over. Help them to put an end to this pain and suffering. And God, come up out of it just like you, Jesus, did. A new person, a new creation. God, we thank you. We praise you. Now, God, we're going to go out into a world that doesn't believe in this message. They believe that people should pay. But that's not the story of the kingdom of God. You have extravagant grace. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, an extravagant grace on these people as they walk out of these doors and they interact with people who definitely don't feel or think or believe the same. But God, I pray the extravagant grace would ooze out of them. I pray that people would rub off grace off of us as they're walking by, as they're talking with us, and I pray that they would see the glory of this and the way that this is the best way forward. In fact, it's the only way forward. God, I pray that in Jesus' name for my friends. I pray, go with them in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be up here at front, and I think some of the pastors will be up here at front. If you would like someone to pray with you specifically, we're going to be up here. God bless. Have a great week. Go with God.